Oh, the, these kids today with their twiglets and their their, their hydra froze. Uh, that stuff's guaranteed to bind you up and wear you down. What, what old folks need, like us, is a healthy, delicious snack from a simpler time. Yeah, yeah people like us uh, need a snack that'll keep you keep you going when parts of you just ju- just stop. Yeah, we need something to help us push through our toughest binds, no matter how long it's been. Uh, Rough going. Uh, we, we need a fruity OT bar. Actually, I probably need three or four of them. Uh, yeah, yeah, packed with prunes and, and raisins, blueberries, wheat bran, a blend of the finest alfalfa, and of course, oats. Goats? When do they start putting goats in? He said oats. Concern at all? I don't want any goats in my fruity OT bar. Fruity goaty bar? When did they change the name? Hey, 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 pipe down, you two. It's a fruity Odie bar, and it'll keep you regular. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about, yeah. Yeah. Old-fashioned, powerful relief from from, uh, troubles caused by modern food. And for your whippersnappers out there, you try try that fruity nutty bar, but I don't know why you'd want to. Yeah, it's made from twigs and berries. (laughs) And big old salty nuts. Who wants to put them in their mouth? Yeah, whippersnappers, that's who. Yeah, we'll stick with a fruity Odie bar. It, it keeps things moving. Greetings, Sits and Sivs. You're tuned to the Guard Frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 20 and was recorded live on April 26th and made available for download April 29th at GuardFrequency.com. I'm Tony. I'm Jeff. And I'm Lennon. What do we have this week, Jeff? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, we'll check to see if the truth really is out there. In CIG News, we bring you everything that's happening around the UEE, including our weekly crowdfunding update. The latest in universe fiction, 10 for the Chairman, Episode 17, Wingman's Hangar 66, and the continuation of the next great starship. In this week's Nuggets for Nuggets, we'll let you know how to make sure you can be heard out in the deep black. And finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Sits and Sieves, we're always on the lookout for talented individuals to come and join the crew here at Guard Frequency. And we're especially looking for an audio engineer right now to come and join the team. So if you've got a creative itch that needs scratching, then we would love to hear from you. Just drop us an email with your experience and what you'd like to bring to the table to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Please remember that all positions here at Priority One Productions are voluntary. This is, after all, a labor of love, but we do look fantastic on a CV or resume. And that takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get to the show and see what's coming through the squawk box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Switch and normal. This is Tony saying welcome to the squawk box, everybody. We like to mix it up here on the Squawk Box. We do some real-world things, like our interview last week with The Base, or checking in on some other indie games we're watching. We do some in-fiction things, like the system map we covered a couple weeks ago. 
And sometimes when we're really lucky, we can bring you some real-world things that sound like fiction. Over the last couple months, some reputable photographers have captured shots of either one or two previously unknown aircraft types flying over the central United States. The first observation was on March 10, 2014, over Austin, Texas, when Steve Douglas and Dean Musket took some frames of a formation of three planes flying overhead. The second was right here in Wichita, Kansas, when Jeff Templin shot a single plane on April 14th. In both cases, every plane had a batwing airframe like the B-2 Spirit, and all appear to have twin jet exhaust ports, just like the B-2. But none of the trailing edges of these UFOs have the iconic sawtooth pattern of the B-2. The Austin planes were more of a delta cut, and the Wichita plane appeared to have a straight-across tail. And in the case of the Austin sighting, the Air Force has specifically confirmed that no B-2s were operating in the area that day. We've got links in our show notes to both a condensed version of the story and also an in-depth analysis of the Austin aircraft formation, call sign Siena. More brand new airplanes in the sky, secrets, mystery, stealth, when were they built, where are they based, what are their missions? You know, CIG should just fire their fiction writers and, you know, just cut and paste from today's news. So, you know, gents, uh, Russia restarts the Cold War and suddenly two new stealth planes are flying in broad daylight over the Great Plains. Huge coincidence, maybe, you think? I'm not saying it was aliens, (laughs) but it's aliens. Yeah, probably it's aliens. You're probably right. Having, you watching this at all? Having yet? served in the Air Force, um, I can tell you that uh, I can't tell you anything. <laughs> <laughs> I can uh, tell you, but then murdered after this. Army. Have you just spilled state secrets on the air? Is that what's going to happen? Yeah, I'm going to have to have one of those probes again. Yeah, well, you know, but if you, if you ask for the probe, time. they certainly will give it to you. I did, but it took six fruity oaty bars to, to sort it out again. Did you say go- I thought we determined it wasn't goaty bars. He what? said, oh, it's oaty bars. <laughs> well, if you read, seen, or heard something that you think might be interesting to other citizens or civilians, send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Now let's check out some CIG news. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checker screen, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Our crowdfunding update for April 26, 2014, $42,933,000. Oh, come on now, guys. Once again, we miss out on the next letter from the chairman because you guys couldn't find a measly 67 Gs in your couches. Seriously. We got not quite 440,000 registered users, up another 5K. And again, the number of alpha slots is still zero. But when you buy a ship package with beta access, you can buy alpha access passes to each modular release. So you can buy for five bucks the chance to test each individual piece of the alpha, but you can't get the whole value pack no more. And because you guys couldn't be asked to cough up another 67 Gs, we don't have a letter from the chairman. So instead, I'm going to tell you all about the changes being made to gifting. And following on from the dogfighting module reveal and the subsequent snatching up of all the alpha slots, the grey market has been thriving with those desperate to still get a piece of the early backer pie. So to combat this, CIG have started clamping down on the practices and are changing the way that gifting works. So you have until May the 1st before these changes come into effect. So if you do have to move 
move your ships between accounts, then you've only got a couple of days by the time you're listening to this recording. So what are the changes? Well, an added 30-day gift lock on gifting users' first purchases. This is intended to block users who create throwaway accounts to transfer stolen ships and packages. This will only apply to new accounts and not to any existing backers. In order to eliminate the middleman scam, packages will be giftable only once before they are locked into an account. Giftings prior to May the 1st will not apply to this limit. And finally, packages and ships purchased using store credit may not be gifted at all. This is to prevent anyone from circumventing the single gift limit by melting items for store credit and then repurchasing the ships again. In the first Arena Commander weekly report, we're given a little info into what CRG are doing to get everything up to scratch before giving it over to all the citizens eagerly awaiting. The blog covers engineering, design, and art, and we're told that the 300i has had its resolution increased and given another detail pass, and that missile targeting now works as intended. But other than that, the teams are doing everything they can to get the dogfighting module into the best state possible. Now, this had me quite curious when I read this. Because they are releasing an Arena Commander weekly report, I think this is going to go one of two ways. Either one is going to run concurrently by the time we actually do get the dogfighting module, and so we're just given an update on how it's progressing onto version 2, version 3, and so on. Or is it delayed by quite a bit longer than they had originally planned, and so they're feeding us this week by week to let us know that, don't worry guys, we're still working on it, something is still coming, you might not have it straight away, but it's getting there. I think it was fluff. Something to keep your mind off of what's going on with the dogfighting module, and really there isn't a whole lot there for the common player to really get excited about or not excited about, so it was just fluff. It's fluff with a purpose. It's purposeful fluff. I mean, it's not here yet. It's going to be here when it gets here. And in the meantime, if you're really curious as to what's taking so long, here's what we're doing. You know, this is a weekly thing. So if they're going to continue it in parallel with the dogfighting module, then that makes sense. But if not, then I couldn't see the point in just producing what could effectively be just two or three issues of the Arena Commander weekly report. That's what led me to think maybe it's not coming out as soon as we'd hoped. Maybe it's not going to be mid-May. Maybe it's more looking end of May. They have internally a date in mind when they want to push it out, but they're not going to say that that's what the date is and they'd like to be able to push it back without having, you know, forum rage and the rending of hair and the gnashing of teeth. I think that probably this is just going to be an every week thing so that until everyone is flying their hornets and 300 eyes and auroras just know you can check in once a week and find out what's going on and that's our first community question this week do you guys think that this is a sign and a portent of terrible things delays into the late summer or is this just an updated report that we're going to get used to and see every week while we get more and more features added to the dogfighting module or arena commander Let us know in our show notes beneath the show post for this episode or on our post on the Roberts Space Industries fan site subforum. Well, in the latest 10 for the chairman, Chris answers more questions from the subscribers. We learn that navigation in Star Citizen will be very similar to how it was in Privateer and that nav points could be anything from a planet to an asteroid field to a space station, just your standard space-going malarkey. The Connie redesign is coming along very nicely, as is the M50, and that whilst we'll have a fair amount of control over our starships, we won't be given a total six degrees of freedom, as the flight system will handle the individual thrusters and intelligently 
align your acceleration to your heading. Unless you choose, of course, to decouple and go into Newtonian mode like we saw in the dogfighting module reveal in Boston. As always, with 10 for the chairman, Chris answers many more questions. These are just the ones that we thought were worth highlighting and worth bringing to you. So be sure to check out the full 10 for the chairman over at robertspaceindustries.com. Well, I screwed up last week and said that that week's Wingman's Hangar was episode 66. It was not. It was 65. See, this see, week. So it wasn't my dodgy show notes. I knew it. I no. I knew it. No, no, no. No. See, I read your dodgy show okay, notes. Okay. straight on. In a show that this week brings us none of the fluff and all of the stuff, Eric Wingman Peterson is joined by Aaron and Chris Roberts for a special celebrity edition of Wingman's Hangar. And we pulled out some of the questions for you that we thought were interesting, so we're going to highlight them here for you. Will we be able to upgrade and customize our ground weapons? Well, yes. It's going to be the same kind of system they use for the ships, but tailored for ground stuff. You can plug in scopes, silencers, larger magazines, all other kind of business. There'll be craftsmen and artisans in the universe, maybe player characters, maybe non-player characters, that will help you uh, get more bang for your bang. More bang for your bang. I like that. They were then also asked, will the Persistent Universe updates be rolled out to private servers? And if so, can private server owners just cherry-pick the updates that they want and ignore those that they don't? And they let us know that the Persistent Universe will be an entirely different beast compared to the private servers. Private servers will effectively be out of sync with the Persistent Universe, with updates hitting the Persistent Universe before being passed on to the private servers. So, for example, if a new ship is released, it'll go first to the Persistent Universe, and then eventually it will get released as a combined asset pack to be imported onto private servers. Is time one-to-one? How will people stay synced as when you hit autopilot, time gets compressed? Well, time will likely be one day in-game is two hours in real life. Regarding fast travel, you will be in warp space for however long the journey is, and you won't just instantly teleport there. A long journey could be like five minutes at 0.2 C, but CIG are still playing with it. Yeah, I wanted to stop there for just a second because that's not going to work. They're going to have to do many jump points. It's just not going to work. So it's 300,000 kilometers per second, and you do a fifth of the speed of light. So that's 60,000 kilometers per second times 300 seconds gets you 18 million kilometers. Okay, that's pretty respectable. But 18 million kilometers still isn't very far. It's 93 million miles to the sun from the Earth. And so that's, uh, what, like 150 million kilometers. So 18 million kilometers from the get-go. So that's a pretty good distance, but it's not interplanetary. We're not to interplanetary distances. No. What is it to, like, the... Uh, I know the outer edge of the solar system is disputed, but to Pluto, 4,800 million kilometers. Yeah. So that's a to lot get across a system, that is a very, very long way. Yeah. Space is big. I mean, you think it's a long way down the road to the chemist, but that's just peanuts compared to space. They're going to need to do many jump points. The warp travel thing will be good for, like, traveling from close orbit to, like, the moon or perhaps a, a nearby asteroid cluster or something. Yeah, they're either going to have to make it a much bigger point of C or they're going to have to make many jump points. It's going to have to just have to be many jump points. Got to happen. We also get a little more detail on fuel usage. How will the Hydra scoops or the Bassard collectors work? Well, your power plant is a fusion reactor or antimatter reactor, so it doesn't need fuel, but your thrusters will. I think propellant is probably a more accurate term that we need to be thinking about here. There'll be different types of propellant, and you'll be penalized if you don't have a decent amount of it, although you'll never be stranded. Apparently, there will always be some level of space dust that you can collect and shove into your thrusters and use to move, even if at a 
penalized rate for using substandard chemicals, but you won't have to be stuck. And the last question that we're going to highlight, how will real money trading be handled? And this is where people will exchange goods and services outside of the game for real-life hard currency, dosh, drachma, dollars, pesos, shillings, celery. And Chris replies, I don't mind the innocent stuff, but what I don't like is the Chinese gold farmers using super cheap labor, using bots to then sell stuff outside of the game and make huge profits. So I think that's actually quite cool because it's really good in that it's going to set a precedent for people being able to eventually make a living selling stuff. Star Citizen like, for example, Next Grey Starship type content. Yeah, I'm waiting for them to come out with the dynamic that I'm advocating. You know, if you make things in the real world that you import into the game, you can sell that. Kind of second life-y type stuff. If you design a ship or a weapon that passes CIG's quality control checks, you can you sell it like an iPhone app. Chris Roberts and their machine handle the transaction for you and you get the lion's share of it because you made it. CIG takes their cut. I think that that would be fantastic and win for everybody. More content for the game. People learn real-world skills like computer animation and 3D modeling and stuff like that. You know, I think it's a win for everybody. The guy making a living selling widgets and Magnus and carting them to some other place, and he's able to recruit 14 Korean people or Chinese people or Taiwanese people to do it because the wage differential across the globe is, is, is bad or he's able to coerce their labor. Somehow. No, I don't want any of that. We don't want any of that in the game. I've got it. We make Flappy Bird for yes. movie glass. Yeah, exactly. The best of both worlds. We can make real world money off people making universe money, and then we divide by zero and the world explodes. Jeff, bring us back on track. Okay. The latest entry into the Observus brings us two points of interest for the price of one. The caster system has been vital to the UEE, but not in many of the normal ways. When UPE military pathfinders discovered the system in 2544, they found a pair of planets circling a large blue-white star. It was described as unremarkable in its initial assessment. Despite this, the second planet, Castra 2, was chosen for terraforming and soon became the UEE's second base, which then quickly became a planet on the front line during Ivan Messer's initial assaults on the Xi'an. Our second point that we're introduced to, Sherman, was built atop Ulysses Peak and it served as a primary launch point for the heavy bombers that would maintain a constant vigil near the jump points into Xi'an's territory. The majority of the base has now been demilitarized for civilian use, transforming the Navy's landing pads and mechanic bays into a primary landing zone for the traffic entering and leaving the planet. Yep, that's right. They paid paradise and put up a parking lot. The observers also lets us know that enthusiasts will probably notice a lot of firepower on your approach, anti-ship batteries as well as a pair of AOV-9 anti-orbital cannons. They may look old, but don't try to be funny. They still work. Speaking of Castra, episode 2 of the first run, a Sari Lyrax delivery, is now live on the RSI website and continues to impress. This time, Sari, still held in the cell, may have caught a break. But what exactly is it she's carrying, and why has she been entrusted with such a large delivery on her first run? Well, no doubt we'll find out in the coming weeks. Be sure to check out the new fiction series on the Robert Space Industries website or by clicking on the link in our show notes. 
And this week sees episode 10 of the Next Great Starship Competition. Much like last week, we're brought updates on another six teams. And much like last week, we're going to go through each of these individual ships and give you our thoughts on how they're getting along. So the first entry that we have is from 3Dingo. Now, you guys were quite a fan of this original design when it was uh, in the, the competition. Not the original original design, but after they got their smack around by Chris Roberts and the team and got the save, their re-up version impressed me and continues to impress. This one kind of reminded me almost of a freelancer type shape type silhouette to it. And so, yeah, naturally I'm sort of drawn to this one. I do quite like it. Oh, uh, what did you guys think, Tony? It's uh, clearly one of my favorites. I mean, it's got to be the top one. It's probably my favorite. What, top three? Clearly. No, I, I can't even talk right. This is one. I like this one. Period. Done. Okay, next up on the list was the entry from Team Cryo. This was the ship that had a sword and shield style look to it, with one side being this massive bulky, well, shield. And they've taken the design, they've modified it a bit more. One of the criticisms that I always had was that it felt too asymmetrical, and I didn't particularly like it. And what they've actually done by taking some of this feedback on board is they've sort of recentered everything and made it look a lot more balanced. And strangely, I know I said I did didn't like it the first time, but I really don't <laughs> like it now and wish they would go back to the other one. Which, funnily enough, is what Chris Roberts said. I think it's because the design grew on me that I suddenly started thinking, you know, yeah, you're going to be almost mm-hmm. like a Spartan. You know, you've got your shield on one side, your weapon on the other. Jeff, what did you make of this? I didn't like the other design, but I want them to go back to the asymmetrical big, huge shield on one end. And, you know, if I were to apply this ship, I was looking at ways I would battle differently then I would battle with something that was symmetrical with cannons on each side and shields. We talked about it a couple times, you know, the tactic that grows out of the tech. If the tech is going to be some sort of alloy, super strong, super light thing that allows you to create a shield and not completely throw off the aerodynamics and the center of mass and the thing. So then you have to develop a tactic to use your new tech. That would have been a cool thing. And now it seems like it's he's walking back from that. And I, I agree. I, I would like to have seen even more of an emphasis on the fact that the primary feature of the ship is the shield. And we're going to design our marine deployment and flight characteristics and weapon emplacement around the fact that I've got a shield on my left side. And this is how the rest of the ship flows from that new piece of technology. That would have been a really cool design adventure to go on. And it seems like he's walking back from that. And I'm kind of disappointed myself. All right. So next up, the entry from True. This one was nothing special. I didn't think it was a design that was progressing along nicely. One thing that I didn't like about this was they showed an animation of when the ship tucks up its landing gear and how it would land, and it sort of splayed out a bit. And I really wasn't a fan of that. There was just something about it that just didn't flow well. It just felt like they put on too many moving parts purely for the sake of putting on moving parts. Tony, what were your thoughts on this ship this one was a surprise to me my previous thoughts on this ship had been "Eh, nothing special but he showed how they were purposely designing it to complement the size and profile of the hornet and how you can squeeze one of these things maybe into an idris landing bay i kind of appreciated that i'm i'm gonna i'm going with gonna go with you lennon on the whole i don't really need to see the turrets swivel up like that if you're gonna have sideways turrets just stick with it and go with that but I like their design direction of making it fit the stuff that's already in the universe. This one, I think, has a place. This one's got a place somewhere. It's a chance that they're taking, and it's a purposeful direction they're going. And I, I applaud their boldness, but I don't know if it'll get them to the top. But I, I think they're in the top half. Mm-hmm. 
the next entry is the entry from Skyguard. This one was actually one of my favorites of this round, purely for things like the uh, turret expanding out of the top, how it folds away and collapses down. The downsides for me is that it still just looks like an oversized single-seat fighter rather than a gunship or a marine carrier. But overall, I was quite impressed with this design. Jeff, what were your thoughts? I like this ship. This is one of my favorite designs. It looks too fat to be a fighter to me, where maybe the next ship we'll talk about looks more like a fighter than this one does. I like where they've taken it. I like the fact that they changed some of the wing design. I like this ship. The ship says fast mover, heavy bomber. This ship is a cousin of the Retaliator. It's not a gunship to me. This thing is supposed to fly in straight lines, pretty speedy. Not supposed to get down in the mud and slug it out. That's the criticism I would have of this one. It's a fine design, and he has put tons of thought in it. It belongs in the game somewhere, but just not as a gunship. Okay, interesting. Well, moving on to Shimapan. Like Jeff alluded to, this one does look very much like a single-seat fighter. It very much reminded me of a pod racer from Star Wars. It's just sort of got that design where it feels like the engines are roped on. I like your pod racer analogy, but I'm going to go just a little bit different. It's still a Star Wars thing, but it's the Imperial Clone War fighters. You saw them at the very beginning of Episode 3 when they were like trying to get on board General Grievous's ship. It's like red and white fighters. Those of you who will admit to watching Episode 3 more than once, like I'm going to admit to that now. I'm going to cop to that. You'll know what I'm talking about. I believe they're called the ARC-170. It's just the oversized engines, the sort of chunky snout. It doesn't say gunship to me. It says more of a big fighter. Yeah, I have to agree. More than anything else, this, of all the ships, says I'm a fighter with its swept wing design and long skinny neck. And yeah, he's got fighter on mine. Okay, and lastly, in this week's episode, we come to Team Try-Try. This was the one that reminded Mark Skelton very much of a silverback, and so that's what they took as the name and ran with it. It hasn't evolved, in my opinion, as much as the other ships have. The others seem to have come a long way in their design. This one still looks fairly similar to its concept, although it has added one or two more things into there. Personally, I'm still not a fan of the design. It looks a little too front heavy and this is another one that i think could be solved by just simply flipping the ship around to give it more of a gunship sort of feel to it jeff what did you like about this what did you dislike about it i like it's big and bulky and it looks like a gunship i would fly this and i would land my marines in this thing ditto i loved their gun i wanted to see the ship that was attached to i'm not disappointed This one, you're looking for bold design choices and things that look like spaceships and not necessarily analogs to what we have in the real world. This looks like a spaceship, but it looks like it was built to do a job, and it looks like I could get the job done. I like this design quite a bit. In other related news to the next great starship, it appears as if Team Troika unofficially may be stepping down from the competition. There was a post that was put on the Robert Space Industries forums that was then redacted by Team Troika, but then they later had an interview with a Russian gaming website called EliteGamers.ru. The story boils down to the fact that their animator has left and that the whole team is suffering from burnout. To quote the spokesperson from Team Troika, Having assessed the situation, I decided that this cannot and should not continue. Rather than sending in another unfinished video trying to hold on to be level with the other teams, I decided that the time has come to leave the competition. 
I am ashamed. Ashamed for the trust that I could not justify. But I do not intend to break my promises. You will get a ship, the possibility of seeing which in the game you were supporting the team for. I will continue working on it, and I will do things as long as I have things to do. And I will report about what I'm doing despite the reaction. But I do not intend to continue with the competition. However, episode 10 of The Next Great Starship came and went with no official word from CIG or from Team Troika. So at the moment, still a bit up in the air, but watch this space and we'll bring you any news that we hear as soon as we know it. And we got a special announcement for everybody here. We have two tickets to give away for the grand finale of The Next Great Starship on June 7th in Los Angeles, California. We will announce the contest rules next week, so be sure to stay on the guard for more information. Gents? Oh, not it's again. that time. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Where the f*** is the dog fighting? Um, Cutie burrs! <laughs> so, okay. So uh, Jeff's going to go take his medication, Thanks. and he'll be right back to tell us what he's been doing in just a second. Yep. Jeff, when you're on your way out there, if you see the God, do- if you see the God fighting module, the God fighting the module. Goat fighting module? Now we have like a goat, goat fighting, fighting module? module. The goat fighting module. Oh, <laughs> uh, my God. Right. Uh, yeah, so this is our little section where we like to tell you what we've been doing to pass the time between hearing about the dogfighting module and getting the dogfighting module. And uh, Tony, I believe you bought Banished. You're a very bad man. I am. And I bought Banished. I am. Oh, wow. Yeah, the first time you don't kill somebody in the middle of winter on the hard mode, you feel like you've won the game. I started and restarted yep. the same village like eight times, and every winter I killed half my people. And I finally got it figured out, and then the first time I like made it through the winter and nobody died of starvation or freezing to death, I like did a little dance. So yeah, that was that was that's it's a good game, but just prepare to have your life wasted by it. Also played uh, the release of season nine of Star Trek Online. It's a good story episode there, and really enjoyed that. Kudos to the team over at Cryptic. So yeah, that's that's what I've been doing, Jeff. I've been working a lot. I built a new cluster out of two new super high-end servers. And Ooh. readjusting the other new cluster I built. And then I'm linking it with Azure or the Windows Cloud Service and all kinds of other stuff. I haven't really spent much time gaming this last week. You've been playing with toys. Yes. Yeah, you haven't been playing with games. Yeah. You've been yeah. playing with toys. The gaming world can just wait a minute because <laughs> I'm going to play. Well, with the latest news from CIG covered, let's get back to basics with Nuggets for Nuggets. You have all flown before, but you're about to enter a whole new world, so pay attention. That means get on your feet, Nuggets! Hello, citizens and civilians, and welcome to Nuggets for Nuggets. This is our little section of the show where we delve into the mechanics of Star Citizen and give you all the gory details from the inside out. Fair warning, though, the game is still in active development, so all the information that we give is subject to change. This week, we'll tell you all how to mind your papas in Quebecs when you're broadcasting on the guard frequency, or any other frequency for that matter. With a dogfighting module dropping any week now. Seriously, any time now. Uh, pretty soon we're going to be tallying bandits and dodging vampires and getting on each other's sixes. But before we get into the macho call signs, fancy lingo, and hip catchphrases, we're going to help you figure out how to make sure your signal is strong and your message is clear, so everyone can reach you five by five. Every Army, Navy, Air Force, Police Department, Fire Department, Trekking Company, Fishing Ship, and Ham Radio Network has its own procedures, vocabulary, and particular habits. 
We are not going to tell you never say copy unless you overheard something intended for someone else. Or that saying Roger went out of style in 1957. And that saying Roger and copy means you're super confused. And old tiny. Yeah, yeah, I remember when. But we are going to give you a few common sense rules to keep your TeamSpeak server or in-game voice chat channel harmonious and informative. First off, before doing anything, figure out what everyone listening to your dulcet tones needs to hear. Compose the message in your head, keep it brief, chock full of information, and to the point. Once you have figured that out, click on your mic, wait a tick to make sure it's on, then, and only then, start your message just like you would start an old-fashioned letter. Address your transmission to its intended recipient. And that's where the letter analogy stops, because the next thing you should say is, identify the lunkhead clogging up the feed. That would be you. This lets the recipient assess the source and reliability of the information that we'll be following. And if that information takes more than 20 seconds to convey, you should consider an alternative mode of transmission, like the post office. Brevity is the soul of wit and the guts of a good radio call. And when you've sent your data, said your piece, and gotten everything off your chest, let the other guy or gal know that you're done. Over is such a short word, but it means a lot when you can only listen to one person at a time, but ten are itching to talk. Everyone else on the channel should let the two folks chatting finish up before jumping in on new topics. You'll know when they're done when one person says, affirm or acknowledged, and the other one says, out. If you must interrupt with life or death information, cut in with a quick break break and wait for them to shut up. For the real pros out there, you'll want to memorize the phonetic alphabet similar to NATO's international radiotelephony spelling alphabet. Impress your friends by purposely mispronouncing nine as niner, and five as fife, or by making references to outdated dances like the foxtrot and the tango, or by alluding to classical literary figures like Romeo and Juliet. If you're feeling fangs out, you can get up to snuff on all the lingo used by stick throttle interconnects who are Sierra Hotel. Yeah, I have no idea what I just said, but it sounded cool. We'll have a link to a translation page in the show notes. And we'll wrap up this segment with the radio etiquette advice given to me by an old-time tank driver. Engage mind, engage mic, engage mouth. Jeff, you've done a lot of flight sims and a lot of flight combat sims. Have you done any multiplayer stuff where people are trying to shout at each other, Go left, go right. I am going left. No, the other left. One in particular, when we were running Jump Space a lot for many years, we had two channels set up, one for just general conversation and the other one for real serious operations. So the way I ran the guild was when we're in operations, you adhere to the radio etiquette, as I put it, and make sure that exactly all this information was followed to the letter. It was pretty important when you want to be successful, and especially in space, and you're all a stick jockey sitting 3,000 miles apart. I've just got a one question that I want to ask, though. Yeah. Whiskey Tango f- Trot Indigo the dogfighting module. <laughs> yes, there you go. Good, nicely done. Nice, nicely done. You didn't, you didn't Charlie Foxtrot that at all. Well, well played, sir. I did not. It was not a complete Foxtrot umbrella uniform. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So I went went all British. The first thing I thought of was rain. So, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you're all bingo mics anyway. So I'm I'm out of here. <laughs> Bingo mics. Movements? Bingo mics. Bingo mics. BM. Bingo is BM. out of bowel when movements. When you have bingo fuel, you are out of fuel. Bingo mics means you're out of your mind. Oh. 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 
Well, to avoid this kind of silliness for next week, we're going to hand the keys over to you and we're going to run another ship poll. So you guys get to vote on what ship you want us to talk about in next week's Nuggets for Nuggets. Just head over to our show post at guardfrequency.com forward slash zero two zero. That's forward slash zero two zero, the episode number, and vote on the ship that you want us to give you all the details on. But now that we've gotten down to the gigahertz and nanoseconds, let's jump into the feedback loop. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! As always, thanks to our new listeners, Twitter followers, and all those that retweet us early and or often. And thanks once again to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, for wrangling all you critters into some kind of order. Be sure to check out a short story, Border Patrol, included in Tales from the Front from Battlefield Press. Links will be in the show notes. Sean Newboy wins the Sean Newboy Award for being Sean Newboy. And he says, excellent show, everyone. Glad sweet Georgia Brown is okay. Everyone has time for that. Personally, I like the ship from Shard Collective the most. Talon is good too. Yeah, wait, you see three dingoes though. Yeah, that's true. Captain Mac STO sends along, Hey guys, just a quick note to say, what an amazing show. Thought this week's show was amazing like all the others. Keep the good work coming. Well, he used amazing twice. Captain Mac. (laughs) And his feedback was also amazing. I'm amazed at how amazing his feedback was. Unfortunately, you've got to use amazing another 25 times in order to get the achievement. So. Okay. <sighs> okay, challenge accepted. Amazing Ostron sent the following amazing missive. Great show, guys. I actually got hunted down by your amazing interview team at the amazing DFM reveal. Hope the amazing processing on those amazing clips is going well. Also, has anyone pointed out yet that one of the amazing distress calls in your amazing opening drop my port side thrusters won't stop firing is exactly the problem that the amazing dev team had. Well, no, but thank you for doing that. You're right. I mean, we're pretty psychic around here. At least I am. I think that's pretty good. Have you been keeping count, Jeff? Is that 25 yet? Close enough that I want you to stop saying amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll just give you the damn achievement. And Sayo, a.k.a. Salad Ian, writes in and says, Your best opening yet. I thought the newscast was great, but then you put in Sweet Brown. I was laughing for five minutes. Epic, gents. Well done. Not to be mean, Dan Geesling must take his reality TV and go and find another game community to annoy. This guy has talent, I'm sure, but every time I see him, it cheapens Star Citizen and makes it into another painfully boring reality show. I feel like I'm watching HGTV or something. Obviously, I'm not a fan of the reality show format, plus he can't keep his hands still. I have to ask, what does celery, raspberry, and strawberry have to do with the metric system? Thanks, guys, for another terrific show. Well, Tony, over to you. (laughs) It's my fault. I just... You know, three, what the hell is a three shield generator? I don't know. So we just, yes, we just signed arbitrary fruits to be what the metric system is. I mean, having said that, going back to the discussion earlier about the distances, if you were to do that thing where they say, like, you know, if Earth was the size of a pea, then Jupiter would be <laughs> yeah. a cup of coffee in America. <laughs> the sort of distance we could travel in five minutes might actually be celery. Yeah, it might actually be a celery stock. Yes. <laughs> And the whole Dan Geesling thing. I want to make it clear that we don't have anything against Dan Geesling. He's not being used well. The people in charge of the show neither need to figure out what to do with him or not do anything with him at all. That's my criticism. The guy, I'm sure he's a perfectly nice gentleman, but the producers need to figure out what to do with him. Snowman sends, the new fighter will have all the benefits and less the drawbacks of the Mustang. I maintain for the price it would be fun, yet must agree that it's not for the serious bootin' in the Nard-style combat against Sice and Hornets. Good show. Love the intro. 
Yeah, I think he's talking about the Gladius there. And yeah, I think I'm more excited about the Gladius and I know nothing about it than I am for the Mustang. Oh, yes. Yep. And on the Mustang topic, at Green Dragoon says, I'm a little concerned that they made it too weak. My P51 Merlin outperforms it in almost every way except cargo space and range. It's actually the P52 Merlin and it was the P51 Mustang in World War II. And they named the Mustang in the game after a piece of garbage ship, or they put the, the name on a piece of garbage ship. And the P51 Mustang was a kick ass fighter. And it's all very confusing and very sad. Yeah, the Merlin should be able to take on a Mustang and probably win because it's smaller and more nimble and doesn't have gigantic landing gear wings sticking out everywhere to shoot at. Martin Berggren writes in and says, I see no need to give up my Aurora if the Mustang isn't on par equipment-wise. I have to agree, though. It's just, yeah, the Mustang, for me, certainly doesn't provide anything alluring that you cannot find in any of the other ships. It seems to do everything kind of naffly. Really, I, I can't see any one area where it's going to be a lot stronger than any other ship that you we can currently get. you got to have the TIE Fighter. Like in the old X-Wing versus TIE Fighter games, when you saw a TIE Fighter, you knew dead meat. Then you got like TIE Advanced and TIE Interceptors and TIE Defenders, and those had shields and would come around and kill you. But it was a TIE Fighter. Oh, it was a Nugget pilot, and it had two guns, and that thing was toast. The Mustang is the toast. And via the Robert Space Industries forums, Ranger XML says, Good show, guys, but seriously, you guys aren't the only ones, but what is the deal with people forgetting the Joker Sucker Punch Cannons for the Avenger? A very specialized weapon worthy of special mention. Okay, I'm going to need to do a little more education and research on this, but I do recall the Avenger's front gun being spiffy, much like the GAU-1 Avenger Cannon on the front end of the A-10 Warthog or Thunderbolt 2, as it is more officially known. So I'll take a look at that uh, Ranger and educate myself. But that's something that's always struck me about the Avenger, that big, centerline-mounted, menacing weapon, just like on the front of the Warthog. And Berserker 1 says, Love this show. The quality makes me think of NPR or BBC Radio in terms of professionalism. Mm. Well, thank you. With just enough fun to not be NPR or <laughs> BBC Radio. There, yes. Well, thank you. <laughs> I have to disagree entirely about the Shard Collective ship. For those interested in a gunship, they want something simple but rugged and versatile, which, as even you said, the Shard Collective design best fits that. All the other ships seem to fit better roles, as you have noted. Even the lauded Taloncorp design looks more like a stealth ship than a rugged utilitarian vehicle the military would use as a gunship. I've come to listen to the show regularly after finding you guys during a bored and sleepless night. Well, thank you. Entertaining enough to listen closely and great for listening to whilst doing other things. Well, I think the Shard Collective was the one, Jeff, you called the Huey. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a Huey. Yeah. He's got a good point. But, yeah. you know, the, the thing about the Huey is, is that they just have, like, tons of them, like you were saying, Jeff, 100,000 of them. You know, in Vietnam, you just flooded a bunch of UH-1s into a certain area and just dropped a bunch of guys down. The helicopter itself is uninspired. Right. And you want some coolness in this game, right? Correct. And from our email, squawk at guardfrequency.com, Zerlo sends us, It's been a while since I heard a real-life aviation story here on Guard Frequency and thought maybe you'd enjoy this one. Today I learned that the Confederacy almost developed a helicopter in 1862. There'll be a link in the show notes if you I, want to catch up on that. I did take a look at those and it was sort of interesting. It's, you know, everyone's seen those Leonardo da Vinci designs for a helicopter with a corkscrew and this guy just like totally steampunked it. So, you know, if any of you guys like that steampunk kind of feel, go check out those show notes. Well, how do we measure up? Are we a massive seven comquats or are we just a mere three kohlrabi? This is metric. Let us know. Here are some ways you can get in touch with us. You can check out our forum post at forums.robertspaceindustries.com. Leave a comment on this episode 
episode show notes at cardfrequency.com, and you can subscribe feeds.cardfrequency.com or find us on iTunes. You can hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak and leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. And if you're old school like us, shoot us an email, squawk at guardfrequency.com. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 20 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 21 on Seis de Mayo. Be sure to keep an eye out for our episodes over at guardfrequency.com or our post over at the Robert Space Industries fan site forums. Please send us your feedback about the show. Aside from all the ways we just ran down in the feedback loop, you can hit the contact form at the top of our website. And all of the details for all of the ways that you can get in touch with us can be found in our show notes. Do you like what we do? Want to come join our team? If so, send a note to squawk at cardfrequency.com. We are always on the lookout for talented individuals, and right now we're seeking an audio engineer to come join us. So if you'd like to be a part of the best damn space sim podcast ever, then we would love to hear from you. And if you're looking for a friendly wingman or two, check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response, at the official RSI website, robertspaceindustries.com forward slash orgs forward slash guardfreak. And if you're not doing anything Saturday night, join us live at guardfrequency.com forward slash live, 8 p.m. Central, 2 a.m. Sunday, GMT. We want to thank the entire team over at Guard Frequency and Priority One Productions. Thanks to our community manager, Jay Chivalry Bean, and artist, Simon Charlton Edwards. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass. And special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we want to thank you folks for tuning in. If there's no one listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. The latest in universe fiction. The latest in universe fiction. Um, sorry, I'm I'm Seaman Dude. The latest. Go back to stripping. <laughs> <laughs> the latest in universe fiction. A... Ten for the chairman. Wait, don't don't say it like that because then when he cuts it in, it's like uh, guard frequency. The latest. The latest in universe fiction. The latest. Sounds like you're mad at okay. us. Over the last couple of months, some reputable photographers, or photographers as they're more commonly called. From the Daughters of Soul star map uh, to the creations of the city. Oh, hang on. We, we got it. We got it. Hang on, Jeff. Jeff, we got a door closing in your background there. On uh, one. A door closing? Nothing going on here. Yeah. I heard something. Hmm. Was it me? Probably. Is it a guinea pig being tortured? Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Tune in next week to find out. Super Space Squirrel. Get more and more features added to the dogfighting module or arena com- <laughs> From our show post at guardfrequency.com, Sean Newboy wins the Sean Newboy <laughs> Booting in the nards is definitely going in my vocabulary now. Oh yeah, that's like that's like a ninja style. That's like hamster style and Shaolin and booting in the nards. Ancient Chinese monks made that up. Oh, you are you are in a booting in a nards style. Yeah, that's going to the blooper reel. <laughs>